Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. $500 million in tax rebates, $150 million in ongoing tax cuts, and more than $400 million in ongoing education spending. It took just 10 hours to pass a wide-ranging bill with a historic price tag attached, and while the overwhelming majority of lawmakers voted yes, we heard a lot of misgivings about the bill and the process. We'll break down how the changes affect you. I'm Melissa Davlin. Idaho Reports starts now. Hello and welcome to this special episode of Idaho Reports. This week, we're giving you a rundown of the tax cuts and education spending that the legislature passed on Thursday. Senator Stephen Thane and Representatives Julie Yamamoto, Gayanne DeMordon, and Sally Toon share their takes on the special session. And Kevin Richard of Idaho Education News will join us to break down the education components. But first, now that Governor Brad Little has signed the bill, what does it mean for you? Starting January 3rd, Idaho will have a flat corporate and income tax rate of 5.8%. Later this month, the state is scheduled to start sending out rebate checks of $300 for individual tax filers and $600 for joint filers. Public education will see a boost in spending of about $310 million, with an additional $80 million going to a newly created in-demand careers fund. And when you cast your ballot during the general election this fall, you'll see what's called an advisory question, basically asking whether voters agree with what the legislature did. All of this was in a single bill. The special session convened at 8 a.m. on Thursday, and shortly after, both the House and Senate tax committees met to hear testimony from stakeholders and the public. Reaction to the massive proposal was mixed. The educational investments before you are, are vital for us to continue to make the needed gains in classified pay. Pick a major boulevard in Idaho and look at what many of the fast food chains are advertising to start. We're not competing very well with that. In the last year, our power costs and our non-transportation fuel costs for our district have gone up a combined $31,000. That's a 24% increase for power and 28% for fuel without an increase in discre discretionary funds to cover that. As I listen to you know, the proponents of the education investment talk, I feel like I'm in Groundhog Day. Uh, two years ago, the legislature made historic investments in our education, education system. Uh, and then last year, at the, uh, in the previous session, we made historic, uh, unprecedented investments in the education system. And now here we are in a special session, uh, just a few weeks before the new elections, before a new session starts, and we're making another historic investment in education. If approved by you, this education funding will show every educator in our state that what we do is valued and that you share our value of providing a free and equal public education to all students. I'm not saying that your approval of this bill will keep every educator in their job, but for an educator like me, it will help tremendously. 
After testimony, the committee passed it onto the House floor. Members of both the House and Senate expressed major reservations about the contents of the bill, as well as the process through which it passed. With a speedy session, multiple substitute lawmakers and legislators who aren't coming back next year. Even though much of the debate was negative, most of those who spoke about their concerns still voted yes. At the end of the day, just 15 House members voted no, and only one senator voted no. This bill is clearly a, a response to and an end run around the education initiative. I have never seen a tax bill with an effective date of January 3rd. I don't think any of you have either. <laughs> um, what that is because this, is, this plan was carefully crafted to, on autopilot, undo the Quality Education Act if it passes. The Quality Education, of, uh, the Quality Education Act would go in effect on January 1st. While we are lame duck legislators and not in session, this will undo it within 48 hours um, automatically. Now we have a fake emergency and we call a special session for political purposes. Is the bill bad? No, I think the bill's good. I like the bill. I just don't like the process. I don't like it that we as a legislative body get called into a special session and the only bill we can look at is the bill that's been drafted by the governor. It's not even, you know, when we talked about calling ourselves back into session, what did we talk about? A subject. Maybe we were limited to that one subject. This time we're not. We're actually limited to one bill. I think we have to be very careful with this, and yet we don't have the option. We don't have the option of doing two bills and voting on them separately because this was what the governor called us to do. And we're a separate branch of government. It's time we start acting like one and not be led around and be held captive by one branch of government. I think this bill and this entire process is very, very disrespectful to our Constitution to our voters, to our taxpayers, and to the incoming class. We are telling them we do not trust them to make decisions, and we don't want to listen to their ideas on what they think about school funding. There clearly is no emergency on school funding when the date is that far out, as we heard the gentleman from District 34 say. I do believe this bill is unconstitutional. I read the Constitution quite literally. When it says we cannot mix subjects, we cannot mix subjects. We cannot make a special pot of money for education and not say it is a policy. It's not, not constitutional to do this. Joining us today to discuss the special session are Senator Stephen Thane, Representative Julie Yamamoto, Representative Gayanne DeMordon, and Representative Sally Toon. Thanks so much for joining us. I know it's been a busy week. Representative Yamamoto, I wanted to start with you. We heard a lot of debate from lawmakers yesterday who didn't like multiple parts of the bill, and they didn't like the process, but they voted for it anyway. You supported the bill. What got you to yes? I was happy to support it because I felt like that each component of it addressed a real need and it was something that uh, 
it's a no-brainer if you have a surplus to give money back to taxpayers. That, that wasn't, that didn't concern me at all. And I'm a person who feels like that schools uh, do, are utilizing their money to the best of their ability and that they could use more. And so uh, having a source that is more stable and that can be counted upon made sense to me. And it also made sense to me to send it out to people. If they already were going to have a choice about the initiative, then give them that choice as well. Here we are going to give money to education and not raise your taxes. The other one will give money to education, but it will raise taxes. And so by that you mean Proposition 1, the Quality correct. Education Act. And so to me, that you're doing exactly what you'd hope to, is we, we feel like we're representing the people in our district, the people of Idaho, but now we're giving them an opportunity to weigh in and, and really giving them the two options. Senator Thane, what got you to yes? Well, there's a couple of things. One, uh, even though I don't think it, uh, money is the most important thing when it comes to education, it is a, a factor and there are resources that can be given. And since the economy in Idaho seems to be uh, generating income, uh, putting more money into the classroom uh, was something I could support. Uh, in my uh, remarks and debating for the bill, I cautioned that uh, money by itself is not the answer, that I, I think uh, public education has uh, erroneously taken the role of taking responsibility to see kids are educated when they should be helping parents. And it's the parents' <laughs> responsibility to see kids are educated. So we need a little bit of a, uh, adjustment there so we understand the proper roles and uh, the structure right now needs to change just slightly to, to emphasize that. But the other thing was uh, I, I d did not like this initiative. and uh, The this, Quality Education the Act. The Quality Education Act, uh, partially because uh, it raised money on the, on the wealthy, so-called wealthy. Uh, I think that some of the uh, worst things that I see in California are coming with that initiative. And, I really did not like it. This was an opportunity to uh, uh, basically repeal it before it even passed, if it did. Representative Toon, I know that you you also voted yes, but you got there a different way. I wanted to give you a chance to respond. Absolutely. Um, I did support the initiative in there as we went through the state because it was brought by the citizens of Idaho. And we tax ourselves all the time. We do that with bonds and levies, and we have for 20, 30, I mean, it's been an ongoing problem. And we have a backlog. We need to address that issue, as Senator Thane said. There are some things that definitely need changed. But we can't necessarily, parenting is a societal issue right now. We can't hold the kids necessarily responsible for the sins of the parents. As educators, we take care of them and we do what we have to do, but we have to make changes and money will help. Um, I got there because this is more. As an educator, we just can't not put the stable piece of the education in there. And it approached it a different way. You know, we taxed ourselves with the initiative. This has a way of canceling the initiative, but I think 
the bill listened to the peaceful of Idaho. That initiative was on the ballot. Like it or not, and it still is mm -hmm. on the ballot. And that means a whole lot of people signed to have that happen. And I think we as legislators have to look at that all over the state. And I got there because of that piece. Not a big fan of the tax parts of it, but <laughs> you know, I do think people deserve the money. We have some inflation issues. Every one of us do in our districts. And property taxes, there's a whole lot of pieces that are, haven't been addressed yet. It's a step forward. Representative DeMordaunt, you were one of 15 House members who voted no. There was only one no vote in the Senate. Why were you opposed to this piece of legislation? You know, Melissa, um, it's interesting that you start with those numbers of 15 and one in terms of the no votes. Had uh, you listened to the debate on the floor, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, uh, at least on the House side, you would have heard a lot of angst and a lot of negative to debate, but yes votes. And, um, I, you know, I, I dare say there was probably, you know, an even split in terms of the debate that came out of that. Um, my own personal opposition to this um, was certainly not based on tax. If it had only been on returning that which, which belongs to the taxpayers anyway, um, I would have had no problem with that. The fact that, um, first of all, we're calling a special session when 45% of us are not going to be there next year. Um, I believe those that have been elected deserve to make that kind of significant policy change. Um, second, I, I believe that it could have waited then in terms of, of January. Watching the economy, you know, even the best economists are trying to read the tea leaves right now, and you know, there's a lot of folks that are saying there's a, there's a softening um, happening, uh, recession. Um, is it? Uh, we would have known a lot more had we waited until January. I think it would have been more prudent. Um, you know, and third, the fact that you had these two components, you could say three components to a bill when our Constitution really does suggest that it should be single subject and I would have liked to see those parts um, parsed out and would have been more comfortable with that. Uh, so that, you know, that was my initial opposition. And you bring up such a good point that there was so much negative debate yesterday from a lot of people who ended up voting yes. Representative Yamamoto, are you concerned about the precedent that this sets when you have so many lawmakers voting on this in a special session who aren't gonna be back next year? Well, I especially appreciated what Representative Gibbs said that he was elected and he was elected to serve until November 30th. And I do not believe that just because um, some have by choice and others by uh, vote, aren't, they are still acting on the, the best they can do to represent their district and to represent Idahoans. And I think to say that they're not is, um, I just, I don't, I don't agree with that. I know those people. And whether they're on the other side of the aisle or on the, our Republicans, I truly believe that people understood that, um, that people need relief now not in, not waiting till January. And so I think, uh, I give Governor Little a lot of uh, kudos to be willing to do something that everybody's gonna say, oh, it's because he has an election. 
okay, well, yeah, he does, but he also, they forget he's a taxpayer, he's a, he's a dad, he's a grandfather, and he's looking at the, he hears what people are saying, that, that it's hard to just get groceries, it's hard to uh, do all the things, that, inflation has hit us all hard. So uh, he's trying to do what he can do now. That's a bold move and it's a bold step for the, the people who are in that, on the House floor or in the Senate yesterday to step up and even with misgivings to say, we get it. We are not immune to, to hear what you're saying about it's, it's tough. So we're gonna help you right now. We're not gonna wait till January. So I, I don't um, have a problem with those folks being able to vote and to uh, represent the people that elected them in the first place. Do you have a problem with it, Senator Thane? No. This is the, following the rules that are currently laid out in the state constitution and state law. Right now, the governor is the one that can call special sessions. He's elected. He did what he was legally entitled to do. The legislature currently can't call itself back into session. If we would have called ourselves back into session, I think it would have been more of a point. Uh, but we did not. We, we reacted to the governor's call. I will point out that there is an initiative or a question on the ballot to change the state constitution that would allow the legislature to call itself back into session. But uh, as, as it now stands, we can't. And uh, uh, so we were following the rules as they are currently laid out. Can I add to that real quick, please? Half of the people that will be unopposed, but half of them still have a opponent. So we really don't know who's going to be in the legislature. And as Representative Gibbs said, we have a job. We're still contending with constituent issues, getting a hold of everything. I mean, people still have my email, I'm answering emails and all of that. So, you know, it's fair, let us do our job and we don't know who's going to be there. We still have a major election to go through and half of those seats are contested. So you really don't know who's there. A lot of what we heard yesterday or during the special session was concerned that there were no metrics, there were no goals attached with the education spending. That here is essentially a blank check. We will let the 2023 legislature appropriate that, appropriate that money. Should there be strings attached to that money tied to performance? My answer would be, I would say no. It was passed as an inflation issue for our schools. They have same concerns. We have matrix for student goals and all of that, but this money is to fight inflation. It could be used. Their power bills have gone up. Kids' numbers, our student body numbers have gone up. So just the cost of running our schools is going up. And so to say it's a blank check, well, yes and no. I mean, we have insurance costs. We have, you know, salaries. I hate to always put that in. We did cover that. <laughs> but have you bought a textbook lately? Right. Um, we can't even get modern textbooks. I mean, they're $400 a textbook if you go to buy a calculus book. It, their inflation is equal as everyone else. Groceries in our school lunch programs. Mm -hmm. it, it needs to address our school issues likewise. 
Representative DeMarta, I wanted to get your thoughts on that too. Uh, thanks, you know, um, I, I do believe, and, and you may have heard me say yesterday, um, that this is not the, the uh, way that we typically do policy. And we are policy makers asking, being asked to come in and vote on a bill that, um, you know, we didn't have any time to really deliberate. You didn't see any changes to the bill. Of course, you saw last minute change the day before of removing the 3% three, uh, um, accelerator. Uh, but to account for inflation for future years. Exactly. For the education spending specifically. Thank you, thank right? you for clarifying. Um, but it's, it's not typical to what, what we do in terms of um, having an objective, goals, perhaps accountability uh, measures built in, and coming with a piece of policy first and then appropriating. Now that's how we do it 99% of the time. This is outside of what we typically do to say, here's a pot of money and, and it can be used for anything um, going forward in terms of students. That's great. We've made some historic investments, but they have been targeted investments, and I have absolutely supported those. Um, I had no problem raising teacher salaries, increasing benefits, no problem, because there were objectives and there were needs that were being identified. Writing out a blank check and not having um, goals and outcomes identified before is I don't think it is a way that we should be doing state government. You can find our full discussion online, including what the lawmakers think the 2023 legislature should do for education funding next. You'll find the links at idahoptv.org slash Idaho Reports. Kevin Richard of Idaho Education News also joined us to discuss what we know and don't know about the education funding component in the bill. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. Can you sum up the debate we heard on Thursday over education funding? I think what you heard was a real debate about the state of education in Idaho and how does money fit into that equation. You heard a lot of pushback from legislators saying, hey, wait a minute, we have put quite a bit of money into education over the past couple of years, and that's true. And on top of that, the federal government has put a lot of money into education. As, as Wendy Horman, Representative Wendy Horman pointed out in her floor debate, the feds have put a boatload of money. Boatload was a, a word we heard a couple, <laughs> at least once on, on the, uh, during the session on Thursday. The feds have put so much money into education, most of which has been unspent, most of which school districts are still sitting on because they have a couple of years to spend. There is a lot of money flowing. And what you heard on Thursday was a debate about what will we get with the additional money? Where will the additional money go? How do we measure success? How do we know on the other side of this that the, the money that we've committed uh, on Thursday, it, how, how do we know that it's getting results? To be clear, we don't know that right now, do we? We don't know how that's gonna be measured. We don't really know where the money's going to go. That was not debated on Thursday. That's not really contemplated in the bill. That's going to all be settled out in the appropriations process starting in January with a whole new crop of legislators. As of right now, with that investment, we don't know yet how much control school districts will have over that funding, correct? Exactly, and I think if you went to 115 different school districts, you'd probably get 115 different answers about what the top priority is. But some themes are definitely emerging. A lot of school districts talking about the need to hire, the need to retain, not just teachers, but classified staff, You know, your, your school bus drivers, your cafeteria workers, uh, the folks who 
are, are going to get more money if they take a job at a fast food restaurant than they can get at their local school district. Uh, Rob Sauer, the superintendent in Homedale, was one of the folks who testified on Thursday, and he said pretty much that. He said, we can't compete with McDonald's to get classified employees in. Think about that for a moment. A school district cannot compete with a burger joint to get employees. So that's a big priority for a lot of school districts. Facilities is a big priority for districts. And you're hearing a lot more sentiment from the school community, from the education community, saying this system of paying for schools through local property taxes and bond issues, it's just not working. We're not keeping up with growth. We're not keeping up with deferred maintenance. We're, we're just falling behind, and it's going to get worse. Since you brought that up, this comes. This came two days after school bond and levy elections across the state. How did those elections go for schools? Not very well. Not in the big districts with the big ticket proposals. Coeur d'Alene had an $80 million plant facilities levy. It received a, a slim majority, but it needed a 55% threshold to pass. Valley View, Middleton, two growing districts in Canyon County had bond issues, both failed. Valley Views came very, very close to that two-thirds supermajority. You know, this is something that we're seeing play out in a lot of school districts, and we saw it play out a little bit in the debate on Thursday. One of the most um, compelling uh, pieces of testimony we heard in the joint public hearing on Thursday morning, it came from a teacher in the Valley View School District who said, you know, I'm really, I love teaching, I love this profession, I, I would hate to leave it, I just don't know if this is where my future is. And she said, you know, part of what makes me wonder about the future of being in the classroom is what happened at the polls on Tuesday in her district when voters did not approve a bond issue for new schools. A lot of the testimony opposed to the school funding provision of this bill, a lot of that opposition focused on outcomes, that student outcomes haven't necessarily improved much after all of the investments over the years that, that you mentioned. What metrics are they looking at? I think if you look at any metric right now, there are challenges, and not unexpected challenges given what's happened in the world over the past two years. But if you look at reading scores, if you look at scores on the ISAP, the standardized test that the kids take from third grade on into high school, if you look at you know, the college go-on rate, now, all, all of these metrics are not where people want them to be, where, where education leaders want them to be. Um, and, and I think you're going to see that debate continue, and that debate should continue. I mean, I, I think it's fair for anybody to say, if we're putting this much money into education, there has to be a return on this investment. That's only fair. And I go back to uh, Kurt Liebeck, the president of the state board, uh, spoke to school administrators about a month ago. I listened to his uh, his address to them, and he put it right on the line with them. He said, we're putting all this money into literacy. We're putting all this money into reading. You have to show us something that we can take back to the legislature. You, you have to improve these reading scores, not just because, obviously, it helps kids. It helps them the rest of their way in their academic careers, but it helps the state board make the case to the legislature that if you put money into education, you get results. And, and I don't think the administrators were you know, I, I think the administrators get that. I think they understand that that's uh, part of the bargain. But Scott Wollstenholme, the uh, superintendent in Bonneville, came back and said, you do have to give us some time, you know. I mean, it, we can't just put the money in and expect results right away. It, you know, it, it takes some time to, to get results. They're both right. They're both making a valid point here. But 
I think this debate over uh, accountability, over results on return and investment, that's just beginning. And I think that's a healthy debate. And I think it's a healthy discussion. You can find my full discussion with Kevin online, including echoes of the 2006 special legislative session. Find the links at idahoptv.org slash Idaho reports. Thank you so much for joining us. Our regular season starts October 7th and will also air the general election Idaho debates during the month of October. Look for that schedule later this month. And next Wednesday, we'll have a podcast with more information about the flat tax rate and rebates. You'll find all of that plus links to all of our online content at IdahoPTV.org. presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.